Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Matt from NeoZaz Productions to discuss the effects in Star Trek's The Doomsday Machine. Say hello to my little friend! Hello Matt. Hello. Hello. Um, today Matt... I'm looking forward to this because something you and I have never, ever, ever discussed, even though I know that you're a fan of Star Trek from various mentions that you've made on various podcasts over the years, you and I have never talked Star Trek before, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I was I was wondering while watching this, is like, is it because we talked a lot, it's funny how much we've learned about each other more since we spent that time in England, because we talked a lot of Star Wars, talked a lot of... Well, Doctor Who with my wife, and mm. a lot. You showed us a lot of local things. We talked a lot of beer. That's another <laughs> podcast. But we, yeah, Star Trek, War of the Worlds had never come up, which we've now covered a little I'm bit. I'm so gutted and, by that. I'm so gutted by that. <laughs> but then again, I mean, you would have to would have had to have had another week or two if we were going to start, <laughs> you know, involving War of the Worlds as well. True. True. Yes. And then now to my yeah, like you said, I realize Star Trek hasn't come up. So it's funny. It's that's funny how much uh, uh, we we could have <laughs> not that we were for lacking of conversation, but it's just it's funny how much more we we learn about our common interests since then. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But with Star Trek, I mean, how where do you start with Star Trek? Were you were you aware as you were young growing up of the original series or were you one of these youngsters that only discovered you know the uh, follow-on shows the, the original series was in saturday re saturday um yeah repeat we had an interesting art and i don't know if it was a philadelphia thing or our market it was a very interesting uh um sequence of broadcasting saturday entertainment you had the cartoons for everybody for all the kids and then you kind of migrated into things that kids uh, maybe above 12 13 would enjoy and that included buck rogers which we also talked about and star trek and a few other things i think um maybe space 1999 was in that but i i hadn't gotten into into it back then so i sort of grew up with it even though it had been off the air for like a good half decade by the time i was actually watching it so i i don't know that i watched them in order not that it's a a, a, a real serial but I'm pretty sure I saw all the episodes. And then when when the motion picture came out, I still wasn't quite rabid about it. But by the time Wrath of Khan came out, there was a new fandom for that cast of Star Trek. Well, but still, at the time, was the only cast of Star Trek. There was a new fandom for me for Star Trek. And I've seen all the those movies as they came out. Uh, Star Trek 3, Star Trek 4, even 5. And I think about then is when Next Generation started and just everything after that. Even... Discovery. I'm more now that it's a streaming thing. I'm binging that in chunks, but I'm right. still following it. And it all started when when I was very young, although it was well after its original broadcast. Okay, 
Um, here in the UK, I mean, I, I try to remember it, and, and I can't remember it. I, I, I've always been aware of Star Trek, so I guess I watched it when I was very small. Um, but when we talked about the TV series before on Effectively Speaking, Alan and I were saying about it must have been shown sometime in the late 70s, because that's when I remember watching them, and that's when Alan remembered watching them, and I think that's where we latched onto it. Um, regarding the other shows, I mean... When The Next Generation came out, um, I don't think it was shown over here. You had to buy it. You had to buy it on, oh. you know, the, yeah, this is pre, you know, uh, sell-through videos. So, you know, you had to rent okay. them first. And uh, a, a friend of mine was a, a massive Star Trek fan, and he, he paid way over the odds for one of these, you know, rental <laughs> copies of uh, Encounter at Farpoint, I think, was the first Next Generation. So, um, yeah, that's how I, I, I kind of like, moved on to that one but i must say for me the original series is star trek to me because that's the one i watched when i was small um and i watched the films and i to a degree i enjoy all the films well apart from five that you mentioned there yeah <laughs> yeah which, <laughs> uh, oh, right i oh, know I, I don't want to depress myself um so, <laughs> so 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 yeah the original tv series is star trek for me and i liked I like the films because, you know, bigger budget, better special effects, kind of like counter counterbalanced, you know, the fact that the, the cast were getting so much older and, and wider in many cases, you know. Um, <laughs> yep. But, yeah, the other series following it, you know, the subsequent series, they didn't really do it for me. I, 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 I never I, – I tried them, but I wasn't a fan of them. Mm, okay. Hmm. Yeah, so so we're we're staying with the uh, the original strain, if you like. Here we are sure. in 1967, um, the second series of Star Trek. Um, the reason I've I've chosen this episode for you and I to discuss is it's one that's always stuck out for me, and I think the reason it is, if I just think about oh Star Trek episodes, it is the Doomsday Machine of this episode. Just the you, you know the strange look to the Doomsday mm, Machine. Yes, um, uh, it's incredibly memorable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's one of those things where I'm still not entirely decided. Though now that I've watched it a lot closer now than ever, I was never really decided whether it was a living thing or not just by the design of it. I think I'm decided that it's not now in this viewing, but it's because of the look. It's like it could go either way. It could be mechanical. It could be biological. It could be biomechanical. Very. Very unique for the things that the Enterprise encountered throughout its run, from what I remember. Very much so. And, and you know, you say the word biomechanical there. If it is indeed a biomechanical, you know, structure, uh, vehicle or whatever, this is predating Alien by True. <laughs> yes. know, yeah. a good 10 years, isn't it? Isn't it? Now, when you watch this, Matt, did you, did you just watch it online or do you own them on Blu-ray? The um, I have uh, DVDs up to the second season. I don't have the third, so I have the DVD of that. So not quite as Christmas Blu-ray, and then of the original, uh, whatever you would call it, the original airing of it, and then Netflix has the remastered. So I watched both wow. as we discussed for comparison. Right, yeah, because over here in the UK, we've got a channel called the Horror Channel, and uh, most of the day they show anything but horror, and um, <laughs> in, in, including Star Trek. I mean, if they sh if you're talking about season three, then yeah, you could say that's a horror. Um, but yeah, I mean, whenever they show episodes, it is these remastered ones. 
um, where they've replaced the special effects with, um, you know, redone special effects. Mm -hmm. And to begin with, when I bought the Blu-ray, I thought, oh, this is neat. This is a neat, you know, um, you, you know, extra where you can choose to watch it with the original effects or the other. But now it's clear, isn't it, that it wasn't just as a bonus for the Blu-ray discs. It's so that they can market it to channels around the world and say, hey, those effects that are really, really dated, forget about it, because they look like something yeah. you'll see in the cinema now. That's the main <laughs> reason for it. I'm sure that's the main reason for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how familiar... Well, this is another one we've not talked about. How familiar are with Red Dwarf? Mm. They've you watch the that same, haven't they? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, it, indeed. It, and... I have the remastered of the first season, just out of curiosity. This is and this is pre-streaming everything, so I had bought it. And there's a documentary on there, and like in the first five minutes of the documentary, that is what you just said. It's almost like you were reading a transcript of that because that's the only reason they did it. They didn't do it to relaunch it in the UK. They did it to remarket it to the rest of the world. So mm -hmm. if they're doing it, I guarantee you're on to the same thing with Star Trek yeah. as well. I think very much so, yeah. So what I thought we would do on this episode is if we talk about it in general, I mean, I've, I've got the option of looking at the original effects and the new effects. So really we're trying to think about, you know, the original version and how that would have, you, you, you know, appeared to a, a 1967 audience, okay? And mention okay. as we go along the, the updates that they did for, you know, a modern audience, okay? Okay. All right. Having said that, then we'll go into a clip, shall we? All right. What attacked you? They say there's no devil, Jim. But there is a... Right out of hell, I saw it! Matt, where's your crew? On the third planet. There is no third planet. Don't you think I know that? There was, but not anymore. They called me, they begged me for help. Four hundred of them. I could, I, I could. <laughs> Episode starts. What do we have at the beginning? Kirk in his green top. That is the one thing that I did not like throughout when that was introduced and every time it did appear. For some reason, that just looks so un-Starfleet to me. It's like you should see that much chest on a Starfleet captain, <laughs> when he, especially when he's sitting at the bridge. If he's in his quarters, that's one thing, but I've never liked that top. And they used that in the Dark Mirror episode of Enterprise. They put Scott Baculant in the same thing. And I'm like, oh, do we really need to put another spotlight on that awful shirt? Back in the 70s, when I was watching all these shows, it was the same with the Jerry Anderson shows and Doctor Who. You didn't have fandom. You didn't have books. You didn't have anything. So all you gleaned from an episode is what you saw. You couldn't look it up and, and find out why is this. So when you suddenly see Kirk in, as you say, this, like, you know, open, <laughs> open plan green top with his... Yeah, you know, Starfleet emblem on its side at his waistband. It's like, what's going on? And there's, it's never explained. Why is he wearing that? No. <laughs> there's no reason for him to be wearing it, it in this episode. And it's only him. No one yes. else ever shows up in with a blue or a red or, or maybe the, I mean, since it's a different color than yellow, it's like, 
the red shirts aren't putting on orange shirts. The yellow shirts right. aren't putting on purple shirts. It's not like it's a second. It's a casual Friday uniform. It's I don't know what it is. I think I think subsequently I saw that you know it's some sort of dress uniform when there is like a that's you, the you, dress uniform. Yes, I think. <laughs> okay, <I'm sorry>. so. <laughs> I think I think that's when they that, that, that they push Kirk forward to actually impress the ladies or something like oh, that okay. because <laughs> they want to get a deal done. But no, we're we're, we're dropped straight into this story. Kirk for some reason is in his maybe it's meant to be his pajamas. I don't know what it is, but um, yeah, he's in this green top. And the Enterprise they've picked up a call from the USS Constellation, and uh, they head off to try and track it down. And they go through these star systems that have had their planets blasted to rubble. Um, and they end up at a system that's still got two planets and there's a ship that's just drifting. And um, we see it's the constellation. And uh, it's all beat up. And I'm thinking back then, you know, if you were, the, um, you know, a Star Trek fan back in the, in the 60s, you've just seen the first season. Here we are in the second season. This is the first time you've seen another ship that looks mm-hmm. just like the Enterprise. And that must have been a radical moment for any fan, wouldn't it? Yeah, actually, that I hadn't considered that, but it probably is. Yes, because uh, from again, from my memory perspective, I starting at Wrath of Khan, that ship was completely different. So, but I've seen every other ship since then, so it didn't jar me. But you're you're right, seeing it for the first time as it aired is probably a different experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and the first time we see it, it's a long shot for this first view, view, and we don't really see anything. Um, and we go to the opening credits, and we have the opening credits, and then after them, we we see closer, and we see that the ship has parts of the saucer edge missing, and the ends of it uh, of its nacelles are like what look like they're melted. Now I'm describing the original ones, okay? Because mm-hmm. you've seen the updated ones. Now in the updated changes, the first shot is still a long shot, um, but you can s- see that there are pieces missing. After the credits, when we come back you can see that there are sections of the saucer hole that are missing and they're showing the framework underneath. I thought very much like um, at the end of Star Trek Three, you know, when the Enterprise blows up and you see all the girder work all there. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So I don't know if, you know, the people who are doing these new CGI effects for the Blu-ray and subsequent, you know, airings, were taking a nod from that and going, oh, let's do something like that. But yeah, uh, this updated version effect is far more beat up than we saw originally. Basically, it was just singed um, back in 1967. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, so Spock scans the ship and he sees that it's on on emergency power. The bridge is uninhabitable, and with no other ships in the area, Kirk, Scotty, and a damaged crew beam over. And I like here that I, I'm sure this is a consideration for when they decided to film this is if you have a ship that looks like the Enterprise, you don't need to build any more sets because you just basically <laughs> true. have your own sets and just throw a bit of junk in there, don't you? Yes. <laughs> I do. I do love how we, we establish in both versions how bad off this ship is and they beam into a completely pristine corridor that only has like one one conduit hanging in the hallway <laughs> otherwise the floor is completely spotless it looks like the the uh, cleaning crew just came through with the floor polisher it's the, there's no sign of anything ever happening in this ship in that particular corridor 
Yeah, and, and Spock says they're on emergency power, but the lighting levels in all the corridors are exactly the same, yes. How, how bright is that thing inside when it's on full power? Must, everyone's got to walk around with sunglasses. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, but there's no sign of the crew. There's no bodies anywhere, and, and Spock has realized, you know, that the two planets in this uh, solar system, they can't sustain life, so where are they? Um, and they eventually they find Commander Matt Decker, in what's called the auxiliary control room now when he appears it, I, I think it wasn't until i got the series on blu-ray and i watched it again that the that that, that the penny dropped that the man who's playing mac decker william Wyndham, okay he's mm-hmm. an actor one of an actor from one of my very favorite films ever to kill a mockingbird have you ever no, seen really. that <laughs> i have but it's been literally decades yeah, now in To Kill a Mockingbird, which was five years before this, um, he played the most vile, child abusing, racist character called mm. Bob Yule. And I, I and I'm I'm guessing it's a testament to the to the man as an actor that I mean, I love his portrayal in this and I love his portrayal in To Kill a Mockingbird and I'd never connected the two at mm, all, right. even though it's the same person. And looking at it now, if if you Google, you know, uh, Matt Decker in this episode and then Google him in Tequila Mockingbird physically they're very similar they're unshaven you know they're rather unkempt okay but right, in my okay. mind I, I, I had disassociated myself because his acting is just so different in, in both roles right I gotcha yeah well, that's yeah. that's a testament to his talent for sure absolutely and I, f- I feel like a bloody idiot it's like how many times <laughs> have you watched To Kill a Mockingbird and how many times have you watched this episode? I, I'm guessing it's roughly about the same, and you've never connected that that's the two people. Okay, in To Kill a Mockingbird, most of the time he wears a hat, but that's no excuse. You know? <laughs> there you go. Anyway, all right, so so this frazzled Decker, he says that they were attacked by a thing. Um, and here in this episode, I, th- I think for me... Um, this is the most outstanding performance in anything Star Trek that I've ever seen. His acting in this, I think, is absolutely incredible. When he breaks down and he relates to, you know, to Kirk, what's happened to his crew, that is powerful, powerful acting, far beyond anything I think I'd ever seen in Star Trek before this. Yeah, and it's not over the top. Then uh, it's not a Chatner shot. Every time I see think of Star Trek and say over the top, I immediately think I'm about to make a Chatner <laughs> shot, but I'm not. It's kind of the theatrics that the show was directed to do, I think, because everybody is is a they're very they're very ramped up in their character. Spock yeah, that, with yeah. his yeah. So so, but his is his is yeah. It's a little different, and you're you're right. I'm I'm absolutely agree with that. He's practically crying, you know, when, yeah. when when he said he beams his crew down to the planet, you know, for safety, and then he had to watch while, um, you know, uh, the thing destroyed it. And Kirk says, there is no, you know, third planet. And he says, don't you think I know that? You know, yeah. he, 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 he's practically crying. I, th- I think it's an amazing performance. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But Kirk asks what it looks like, and, it, and he's told that it's miles long and it chops up planets. And he doesn't know whether it's alive or not. And what you were saying there, I mean, Spock 
later on says that it is essentially a robot. Now, I don't know what the word essentially means in that sentence. Right. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking what you, you said there. I'm thinking it's some sort of biomechanical device because it needs to chop up planets t to feed, doesn't it? Mm, yes, yes. In, 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 in the same way that a living creature needs to eat to feed to give itself energy. Right. So, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where... Yeah, the uh, I, uh, it was probably the terms that were, that were used, and maybe even I don't recall. I don't know that I would pick up Spock saying essentially a robot when I was young, but maybe the hint of it is what led me to think it was alive when I first saw this. It's yeah, mm. it's it's very. I still think it's it's somewhere between the two, maybe more towards machine, but I'm still thinking it's probably somewhere between the two. I'm starting to. Mm. I'm also yes, thinking, I don't know. I keep I jump back and every time I think about it, apparently I jump back and forth. Yeah, I'm I'm just wondering if it's a coincidence because this is 1967, and I think maybe a, what a year, maybe two years before, in the Fantastic Four, um, you had the character Galactus appear, who was oh, this okay. yeah, he was this cosmic entity who would roam the galaxy, looking well, the Silver Surfer would go off find a planet for him he would come along and consume the planet um you know to get the energy from it to sustain himself and i'm just wondering if that's a coincidence or not because it's it's right. very very close you know yeah yeah that's it it does sound if if it were any any kind of uh biological piece to it that would be very similar mm, indeed yeah um but Spock, he's traced its path back, and he's found that this doomsday machine has come from outside of our galaxy, and that its current path takes it into the most populated of ours. Oh, <laughs> it couldn't be just going off to one side. It has to go through <laughs> right, the most yeah. populated, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love the next bit, because the next bit in this episode is when Kirk is talking to Bones, and he's talking about, um, have you ever heard of the Doomsday Machine? You know, and he, he's saying about, you know, a device so powerful that neither side would dare use it. Something like the old H-bombs used to be. Now, that's a very <laughs> quaint term, you know. In, in our modern world now, you know, with everything that's happening, the tensions in the world, you, you know, everything that's going on with North Korea and everything, nobody uses the term H-bombs anymore, no. do they? <laughs> no. no the, only, the only one that would have been, like, even less relevant would, would have been to say neutron bomb. Mm. <laughs> that's that's one that came and went like with these i mean i guess it was conceptually a thing but that went with like early sci-fi like quick real quick <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. but they take the constellation in tow um which looks okay um in the original and in the blu-ray um we get change obviously you know the constellation is new the enterprise is new and they've changed the relative positions between the two but it all the way through this I, I i'm always struck by the um these recreations the the guys doing it have been very very faithful you know to what has gone on before they, they they'll follow it quite slavishly and they'll do the odd tweak here and there but by and large it's pretty much exactly the same isn't it yeah um one thing i noticed was the the way the ship moves generally is the way the model would move uh, they maybe softened it up or smoothed it out but they didn't change the the unrealistic physics that the enterprise did no. in the 60s <laughs> which was a nice touch especially 
um, not to jump towards the end, but there's a, a, a movement it makes the constellation makes at the end. That's like they could have easily not made it look like it was the model movement work, but they didn't, which I like. It's it's the effects overall are just it's a very fine line between the two by, you know, not mm. making it look totally out of place, but still trying to make it look better. Yeah, because if if this was like, you know, a, a reboot episode, you would have the camera going in and out and all over the place. But no, they, they are following the tradition of the original show where everything moves, you know, left to right or right to left all on one plane, don't they? <laughs> yes, right, yeah. Yeah. All right, so so Bones and Decker, they've been back to the Enterprise and they find that they're a red alert because the Doomsday Machine has arrived. And this is the first look we have of it. And... As I say, this is one of my endearing memories of Star Trek from when I was young. I mean, it's just a fantastic design. Um, I think this and Balok's ship in the Corbomite Maneuver, I think, were the most alien you ever saw of any spacecraft in the original Star Trek TV series. From what I remember, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, off the top, I, I haven't looked into it, but off the top of my head, yeah, these humans didn't make this you know there's not no, no way anything yes, human like it, ever made this you know it it, it 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 looks great it looks fabulous um you've got that fantastic music this urgent music which goes throughout this episode and i looked it up and and the the, the music written for this episode uh was specially written for this this isn't standard oh, wow. okay. you, you know stock star trek music it was actually written for this episode and i think that's what helps you know it, it it conveys the urgency when you see that you know um that shot of it and spock says and it is pursuing us and we get that music you know fantastic <laughs> yeah. fantastic i love the blue gray color scheme of it um, yes you know this mottled effect although watching it on blu-ray on my big tv like i did you know the inside walls of it inside its mouth they look a tad garish you know on blu-ray you know you've got yellows and reds and oranges and stuff and it looks very trippy 60s <laughs> to me uh yeah i could see that easily <laughs> yeah yeah and the flame effect, you know, halfway down inside this vessel, um, that was a flame effect that was composited in, you know. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I, I, I've seen, if I can find photos, I'll put them up on the Facebook page, but I've seen at conventions, modeling conventions, where people have recreated the Doomsday Machine, and they've, and they've done it brilliantly. They've actually put a light source inside, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to have one. I'd, I'd love to have that as a nightlight, you know, just that at the side of your bed, just glowing away. That'd be brilliant. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the compositing of that particular aspect of it, the flames, actually works for it in the original because it, it almost feels like it's it's it, it gives it that whole alien technology. Like there's something going on in there that we can't recognize. It's almost like an interdimensional feel, though. I'm sure that's not what happens in there but i i think the compositing of it really makes it better as a alien craft because it's almost like once you pass this threshold of the entrance it's like it that that's it there's a it's you're going through yeah basically an alien meat grinder but through yeah. god knows what kind of technology yeah in the original it looks very much like a fusion reactor you're looking at a mm. fusion reactor or maybe a stargate or something like that i mean yeah on, yeah yeah that's yeah on on the blu-ray the, the the redone one the inside of it is is much more realistic you know it's just a matter of reds and blacks and it reminded me an awful lot of when you see the balrog 
in the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, where you get the you, you, you know it looks hot, you know, whereas yes, this right, one yes. is is more otherworldly, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it opens fire and it damages the Enterprise's transporter and communications. And I love in this moment how Kirk gets frustrated because he doesn't know what's going on, you know, to his ship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the Doomsday Machine, it veers off and it, it starts heading to the Rigel system. And Spock says it's programmed not to attack anything below a certain size. And he orders Sulu to turn around and go and pick up Kirk. But that's belayed by Decker, who's taken command, and says, no, we've got to stop it reaching Rigel. Um, and this bickering that starts between Spock and Decker, something I wanted to ask you, because you're a Star Trek fan, and yeah, I like Star Trek, but I don't know an awful lot about it. Back at this point, 1967, second season, when you see Spock in his blue tunic, and he's got what mm. we now know as the Starfleet emblem on his chest, okay, Decker has got a completely different one. And I've got a vague memory that back then, each starship had a different emblem. So the one that the Enterprise That's... was wearing is the Enterprise's and doesn't denote Starfleet in general. Am I, am I right in thinking that? That's what I understand as well. Yep, yep. Right. I remember seeing or reading or in one way or another having that explained that each ship does have its own emblem, and this is the Enterprise emblem that we're that we're used yeah, to. It's not Starfleet. Yeah, and I think when the films came around, that's when they, you know, just hauled it in and they made that, you, yeah. you know, the Enterprise one Starfleet. Yeah, I think there's other episodes where you see other people from other ships where they've got different emblems as well. Um, but and I prefer it that way. I like the idea that each ship has its own, you know, bespoke, <laughs> you know, yeah, pattern design right. thing. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but as I say, they're having a bicker and, and Decker pulls rank in, in this fabulous exchange. And I love Leonard Nimoy in this. He's so cool and unflappable, uh, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, you know, because McCoy is not cool and unflappable. And he wants nope. to, nope. he says, yep, he goes, like this, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll pronounce him, you know, unfit for duty right now. And Spock's exactly, like, yeah. well, have you given him a medical? And it's like, no. <laughs> you know? And Spock is so by the book because it's his logic, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's yeah. That is the the unflappable, and then whatever the complete opposite of that. You you. Those are the two perfect descriptions for what's happening between those two characters, or yeah. with those two characters, I should say. Yeah, but Decker says they're going to go up close. The mistake he made on the constellation was that he fired from far away. So they're going to go up close to attack, right up close. And uh, Spock says it's not going to make a difference. Um, so off they go. Every time we see uh, the Doomsday Machine in the original, it looks good. Every time you see the Enterprise, it doesn't look good. I mean, they're using stock footage of the Enterprise, and it, it is soft focus. It is grainy. Sometimes you can see the stars going through the Enterprise. Sometimes you can see space. There's whole chunks of the Enterprise missing. Um, Blu-ray doesn't do the series any favors if you're watching it, you know, with the original effects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't really defend the Enterprise stuff, especially when, like, you're right. And it may have something to do with the color contrast, too. The 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 dark blue against the space background as opposed to the stark silver. I mean, yeah. maybe... And, well, all, well, the footage is already a different... It's completely different shot footage. 
which doesn't help. Yeah, there's not much going for the Enterprise in these shots. No, no. Every time you cut back to it, it, it you do wince. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as they attack Kirk on the Constellation, he gets his video back, and we... Uh, <laughs> I love his, what the devil's going on? <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, the attack has no effect, but Decker presses on. Uh, the deflector shields are gone. There's severe casualties and they start getting pulled into the uh, doomsday machine and Spock says to continue his attempted suicide which shows that he's unfit for command and yes. uh, yeah. so Decker reluctantly agrees to veer off but they can't because they're pulled in a tractor beam um, the constellation gets power back and opens fire which distracts the doomsday machine and it turns to face it letting the Enterprise go and uh Kirk finally gets communication back, wants to talk to Spock, but Decker won't let him. Kirk relieves him of command. A great scene with that eminently, you know, quoted line ever since, you know, Vulcans never bluff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Decker stands down and he's told to go to medical, but on the way he, he knocks out his guard and steals a shuttle. And even though this is stock footage, I love it. Every time you see the shuttle bay, and the shuttle taking off. I always think that's fantastic. Uh-huh. I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But he says he's going to ram the shuttle right down its throat. And he <laughs> ignores all the pleading that it won't do anything. This this man is, is deranged, isn't he? He's not listening yeah, to he's, anybody. No. No. Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. There's reasoning with him is impossible at this point. Yeah. 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 He, he, he just wants... He, he just wants to, you know, take it down, and, and he's just not listening to anyone. Um, nope. nope. Yeah. So when the shuttle goes in, he guides the shuttle in, the scale's all wrong. In the original version, the shuttle, compared to the Doomsday Machine, is just far, far too big. Um, and on the Blu-ray, they have obviously noticed that, because the, the Doomsday Machine is meant to be miles long, and you've got this shuttle, yeah. you know... <laughs> which is far too big and they've reduced it much more in size so that's good yes um so yeah he sacrifices himself for absolutely nothing but has he because spock notices that uh, there's a minute drop in the doomsday machine's power as mm -hmm. the ship explodes and kirk orders the damage team team back to the enterprise and says if the constellation's engines overload when inside the thing it might destroy it so he sets this 30-second delay on the engines, doesn't he? Yes. And Scotty beams back, and that's when the transporter fails. <laughs> that, I actually... It's funny. It's 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 not even in the uh, realm of effects that we're talking about, but for some reason, the little puff of smoke off the transporter pad is like actually one of my favorite little bits <laughs> in this episode. I don't know why. When I saw that, I was like, that's really cool, because it didn't blow the whole thing up, but you clearly see something's wrong. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, so he runs off to this thing called the Jeffrey's Tube. Um, you know, um, you know this this tube that's at like a forty-five. Why is it a forty-five degree angle? I mean, that's not that that's not comfortable to to you know do <laughs> um, you know uh, adjustments in. But he goes off and he fixes it. Kirk leaves it to the last minute, activates the thirty-second countdown, and that's when the transporter fails again. Because of mm -hmm. course, you know, this is Star Trek. You know, anything like this, if you've got a countdown, the here is like James Bond, isn't it? In Goldfinger, you've got to wait until the very, very last second before your hero is safe. 
Yeah. There's even if I was watching this in '67, it's like Kirk's not going to die. He's going to get back to the Enterprise. You know. (laughs) And it's it's Shatner's greatest moment in this episode, dude. Gentlemen, beat me up, (laughs) gentlemen. (laughs) He's he's so unflappable, isn't he? Oh, he is great. I I I do love a bit of Shat. Um, yeah. But yeah, of course, he's been back at the very last minute. Um, the Doomsday Machine seems to belch fire um, and its colour changes to a dull grey. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. Um, we then have the wrap-up, which on the original, when Kirk and Spock are on the bridge of the Enterprise, they walk past the forward view screen. And it's a really, really duff uh, painting of stars. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. On the Blu-ray, they've actually put a proper Starfield in there, and it's a proper viewer screen, and you can see the Doomsday Machine in the distance just dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, the episode ends with Spock wondering if there's any more out there. And if this was filmed within the past 15 years, the last shot we would have seen would have been the camera doing a complete 180 and going off the uh, opposite direction and showing one approaching them. That's how that would have ended. Or just the blackness of space with some eerie music making you go, oh, is there one coming or not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the next bit's behind the scenes, so we might as well mention this anyway, uh, straight away. Do you know this was actually addressed? No, no, I yeah, didn't. It was addressed by uh, in a Star Trek novel called Vendetta. Okay, there's a, a guy by the name of Peter David who I know as a comic book writer. You know, he he did a brilliant run on the Incredible Hulk. You know, back in the eighties, maybe the nineties, mm-hmm, okay. and Supergirl as well. And he he also was an author. He wrote an awful lot of books, and he wrote an awful lot of Star Trek books. And one of them is called Vendetta. I don't know whether you're going to agree with this or not, Matt. I know I don't. But he has it that the Doomsday Machine had been built by a race of aliens called the Preservers, okay, who were fighting and losing a war with the Borg. Oh, huh. yeah. Mm. You know, the Borg, the, the, the Borg lore is actually one of my favorite things from all of Star Trek, so I don't mind it, although I do have a little problem with anything relating to the Borg pre-Next Generation. Right. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like the way you have, you know, alien races, you know, that clearly came around, you know, after Star Trek, but then they retrofit it back into Star Trek. It's like, no, 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 no. There's an evolution to Star Trek, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the same problem I have with um, with uh, the the, this new reboot of Star Wars in the comics specifically. They're showing things like the day after the Battle of Yavin, there's speeder bikes. It's like that's I mean, I know speeder bikes were probably around, but we didn't see them yet. So it's like it kind of breaks the flow of how we've learned Star Wars. But yeah. Like I said, that's more that's more me than than that. And it's kind of what I have. I mean, I I actually don't mind it as much uh, as I think I would, but I I but I do have a little bit of like I'd rather not see the Borg involved in any storyline with the old the original Star Trek. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I th- I think everything should be chronological, you know, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, don't retrofit. Um, no, I, I like the idea much like. Um, the problem I've got, you know, with alien 
Covenant and Prometheus that you know you're going back and explaining things the whole appeal of Alien was that the everything you saw on that planet and uh, you know was alien you know the whole point of the doomsday machine is they didn't know where it come from don't start explaining it and saying that this race was called this that and the other you know no 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 keep <laughs> right, it a mystery yeah. keep it a mystery because whatever you can come up with in your head you know is better than anything that they're ever gonna you know show you on a screen or at all you know Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, according to Matt Decker, uh, William Wyndham, he didn't enjoy working on this episode uh, because oh, he really? said that. Yeah, he said that William Shatner and Lennon Nimoy were not getting along at this point, and oh. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the yeah, it was a bit tense on set. Yeah. And something I really don't agree with, you know, especially after what I was saying earlier, um, he said that he felt that the episode was so silly. That he purposely over overacted. Now, <laughs> when funny. you see his performance, and <laughs> yeah. that's not overacting. I think that is fantastic. Right. He should, if the Emmys were around, then he should have got an Emmy for it. You know? Yeah, that's um, what that's what I found a uh, find astounding uh, astounding about that. That yeah. I thought it was probably the best performance in that episode. Yeah, it wasn't apparently it wasn't until after he filmed it and much later that he he actually realized, you know, that uh, his character was, you know, uh, a a riff on Captain Ahab from Moby Dick, you know, this man obsessed yeah. with killing oh, the geez. killer whale. <laughs> I know it's yeah. so obvious yet I never noticed that. No, he didn't That's notice crazy. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently um, when you see him on the bridge of the Enterprise, when he's mulling everything over, he's got those little um, little squares, hasn't he? And he's he's filling with them like playing cards in his hands. These little mm-hmm. cartridges that he's got, and he did that deliberately. That was a homage to Humphrey Bogart, who did the same thing with ball bearings when he played Captain Quig in the Kane Mutiny, another uh, naval, um, right. you know. Uh, film based on you know disquire and mutiny and whatever you know on a naval ship so that was that um the next thing i've got to disagree with is the writer of this uh tale was a guy by the name of norman spinrad and when he watched the final episode he was disappointed with the appearance of the doomsday machine because he saw it as having tentacles and lasers Ooh, I'm glad that didn't happen. I think that would have actually been too much. Yeah, I know which one I prefer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, the Doomsday Machine itself that we saw on screen, I, I, I have seen the the reason for why it looked like it did, but I don't believe it. Apparently, they made it by dipping a windsock. You know, a windsock that you get on airfields? Mm-hmm. you know up on the pole you know the tubular yeah. thing dipping a windsock in cement and hanging it there and letting it dry okay huh okay i, I right. could see where that description would fit i see I, I i can see that you would get that basic shape if you did that but when you look at the original um effects the Doomsday Machine, when you see close-ups to it, it looks like it's made up of sections. It looks like it's made up of plates all yes, the way around, which, yep. of course, you wouldn't get if it was a windsock. You would have, um, you know, you, you'd have a smooth surface with dimpling from the cement. You wouldn't have this plating affair. I don't think that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, hmm. 
Plus, I'm not quite sure if it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you get. Yeah, I agree with the plating is alone. So yeah, I, I mean, I I see the shape, but I don't see the texture. No, no. It looks to me more like it's made out of card or you know squares or rectangles of plastic that have been built up and then texturing put over the top. You know, but I don't think it's a anything as simple as you know a windsock in cement. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think so either. Anyone on the Facebook page that might actually know what's going on here, I, I really would appreciate it if you can let us know. I was um, trying to look up information, not to, not to. Um, I knew you were, you were as well, but I just wanted. I was curious. I was trying to look up for information on uh, just behind the scenes of it in general, and I could not find anything about the original. All I could find is what you mentioned earlier: a lot of reproductions by fan artists, which are mm. phenomenal. But I just could not find. I don't think I ever found an image of the original off camera. It's very weird in Star Trek in that they seem to have documented the Enterprise and the costumes and a lot of the props, but not many of the guest vehicles. Now, I don't know if that's because they fielded that out to outside companies who would make a prop spacecraft, you know. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. And then it was either chucked away or the company had it back and then they chucked it away. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, mm, it's all a bit vague. Um, the only other fact I've got, which I really do like, is the fact that uh, the USS Constellation, the registration number, when you see it on the whole, is NCC-1017, okay, mm-hmm. which are the same numbers as the, as the Enterprise, just in a different order. Okay? Yes, yeah. <laughs> now, the reason for that, and I love this, is the Constellation model is actually the commercially available model kit, okay, Produced by AMT, um, it came out the same year that they made this episode. So it's like, we need a new ship called the Constellation. They just went to the shops. They bought this model. Um, they had to, you know, custom make the Constellation word. But all they do- uh-huh. did was get the decal sheet, cut up the numbers, and rearrange them. It's as simple oh, as that. Okay. That's why it's yeah, why 1017, yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that's funny. That's, that's, why not? Yeah. And it's a tradition, you know, it, it, it carried on, you know, um, in, in later films, in the Star Wars films, you know, they use, you know, commercially available kits to, you know, busy up the background and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's cool. All right. That's it. That's all I've got for behind the scenes, um, which means it's rating time. Now, yes. the rating is going to be on the original version. So, oh, okay. So, yeah. What do you think, Matt? Well, all right. Are we going to do all the effects or just the Doomsday, ma- Doomsday Machine? All in all. All well encompassing. Oh, the, the, ouch. The whole you. Oh, <laughs> you. Dang it. Okay. Well, hmm. <laughs> So, all right. Well, I will say that the Doomsday Machine is a solid eight. I love just about everything about it, and I think the uh, limitations of of superimposing that fire on top of it actually benefits it. So that's a solid eight. The Enterprise, God, the Enterprise is at best a six, and I don't even want to count the laser shots from the Enterprise. Those are probably the worst part of this movie mm. or uh, this this episode. But with that, I think that the the Doomsday Machine holds. Like that, I guess, would be somewhere in the six and a half range. But I think the Doomsday Machine is so good in this that it raises everything up to a seven. Oh, it's so close to me. 
everything <laughs> you just said there I agree with, although I've got written down a six and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yep, and that's so. what my average was until I just I let the Doomsday Machine pick it up a half. So I have no argument with that rating. You're absolutely right. The Doomsday Machine is good, but it's let down, isn't it, by all the Enterprise shots. Yep. Um, so I, I, I dropped it down. So that gives it an average of 6.75. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep, I have no argument for that. That's I think that's fair. Excellent. All right. Okay. Well, thank you then, Matt. That's the show over. Thank you for today. Oh, always a pleasure. We got a 6.75. The next time you're on this show, we're going way lower. I'll talk to you oh about my that. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to give a, a sneak preview and say that I started watching this as I was like doing something and went, oh, no, this needs my full <laughs> attention in the most negative way possible. <laughs> Folk don't know what we're talking about, but you nope. and I do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It could be. We. we I, the show's never gone into minus figures, but you know it might it might well <laughs> yeah. do. Dick Jones yeah. might actually be you know a, 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 you know a, a, a shining example of special effects work when we next talk. Hey, I, I might need to watch Queen Kong to brighten my parents after I'm done this. <laughs> to restore your faith in special effects. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, anybody who's puzzled, you've got to wait quite a while. But uh, me and Matt will be back to uh dredge the depths um later on in the year okay so thank you everybody and see you soon